This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back to Laravel News Podcast. This is episode 168. I am Jake Bennett. And again with me, as always, Mr. Michael Dorinda. Michael Dorinda. Hello, hello, hello. Got I'm in my... champion's uh, hat on. It's that, it's, that, it's that time of year. Where is it? Over yep, here? got the Laravel News Podcast hoodie. Got or, the, yep, no, got no, the Laravel News swag Laravel on. News That's swag it. Yes, on. it's... Um, yes. It's like, I can't tell if it's hot or cold. Like yesterday, mm. it was... We had four seasons yesterday. It was cold. It was sunny. It was raining. It was just the whole the whole thing. So the whole deal. Yeah. It's hard to keep tabs on, but today it's cold, I'm pretty sure. So in the jumper, uh, I've got the champion's hat on because this is all I have at the moment because <laughs> my Lakers are long gone from the finals. The uh, Phoenix Suns, poor, poor Paul Redmond didn't even, I keep ribbing him because he's a Suns, Suns fan. Of and, course, uh, he's from, he's although, from uh, the Phoenix area there, Scottsdale area-ish. Yep. So I said to him last off season when, Chris Paul didn't take the team option that the Suns should have just got rid of him because he's too old and he's just got this entire career of never winning a championship. And that instead of doing that, they re-signed him to like a forty million, forty oh million, million dollar contract. And yeah, it's uh, they could have gone and got someone else. It'll be interesting to see what happens. But the Golden State Warriors and the other the East the Eastern Conference they're going to Game Seven. So yeah, I have, interesting I to see how that goes. Yeah, I'm I haven't been watching any of that mostly, um, but I'm glad that I don't know what I was going to say there. I'm glad that you're enjoying <laughs> it. I'm not sure what I was going to say. I don't know. I haven't. I haven't. I watched. Look, I'll be honest. I watched the game Game Seven. I think the. Dallas Phoenix series just to watch Dallas beat the Suns because I'm I'm a bitter Lakers fan and I'm like I don't want the Suns to win so <laughs> but that's that's the only finals I've watched the, the Lakers played their last game and that was the end of the NBA season for me I don't care who wins or loses I, I mean I hope it's not as a Lakers fan I hope it's not Boston just because then they'll um get one up on on the Lakers again but uh but good, hey, good to see know. that Golden State back up there indeed you know, they Anyway, let's do this. Let's let's say hello to say hello. Let's say thanks. Yes, absolutely. So, thanks to Why our friends. Thanks to our friends, Honey Badger, uh, who are longtime sponsors, repeated sponsors for uh, sponsoring the show. Honey Badger, of course, is error tracking for your apps because even the best developers have errors, uh, lots of them, most likely. And then, secondly, we have Scout APM, which is application performance monitoring. So it sits on your servers, it watches all your stuff to make sure that everything's behaving correctly. So we have a double sponsorship this episode. We're going to be talking about both of those sponsors a little bit later in the show. But until then, on we go. Laravel 9.13 has been released. Let's talk a little bit about that. Let me get it pulled up here because my computer is going slow. Here it is, 9.13. All right, of course, you can see all the notes and new features updates uh, below and the diff between 9.12 and 9.13 on GitHub. Here are some of the highlights. So we have add value collection method. Steve Bauman contributed a value method to the collection class, which gets a single keys value from the first matching item in the collection. So in this case, you would say, uh, find collection where ID is two value name. So grab 
the value of just that one particular item from the first matching item in the collection. Uh, so this would be like if you ever had where you call, you, you might have something that could have a, a set of values that are returned, but you just want to get the first one, right? So you call get mm-hmm. and then you call first and then you call value. Well, this you don't have to call first. If you're going to, if, if the collection is still returning a, uh, you know, set of values and you call value on it, it just returns that one from that first mm-hmm. item in the collection. From the first, first item in that. And that, you know, whether that's the collection in whole or if it's a filtered subset of that you collection, it. it's, I guess it's synonymous with the, um, the same method name on, on Eloquent. So you can do, like user colon colon where whatever um, arrow value, yep. and then that'll get you the the just the value. So it'll select just that value and, and return that without having to do like first arrow property, whatever. Yeah, I did not even know that it was the thing. So it's funny mm-hmm. that they're adding it to a collection and I'm just learning about it for the uh, <laughs> eloquent stuff. So there you go. All right, we also have uh, Danilo Poli- Poliano. Polia? Polani. Polani, oh, sorry. Danilo, Danilo Polani contributing a assert JSON missing path method to the test response class. So there are a couple examples here. So you could assert that JSON is missing path email. So that would say never return the user email, for example, or assert JSON missing path. And you can do this uh, dot separated sort of data dot zero dot internal tags. So you can kind of Mm. burrow your way through the result there and make sure that there is nothing in that spot. It should be missing that location. Also, we have uh, Chris Anthos contributing an assert count method to the notification fake class. So the use case for this method is asserting that a given number of notifications were sent in a test. So if you're getting your test set up and you call notification fake and you just want to assert that there was four different notifications sent, you just say a notification assert count four. Uh, nice, easy way to do that. We also have a test response collect method. Uh, Ilya Borisov contributed this collect method to the test response class. This will get the JSON decoded body of the response as a collection for you. So you can get the whole test response as a collection by just calling response arrow collect. And then that will give it to you in a in a collection rather than just giving you the JSON values. So there you go. Nice. Daniel Eckerman contributed an array map method or ARR or array helper uh, map method. So the example that they give here is they have an array that has uh, a first, uh, the first key is first with the name of Taylor. The second key is last with the name of Otwell. And in this case, what you can do is you can array map passing in those values and keys. And you could say return key dash, uh, interesting. I I guess this is just giving you the key and the value. I'm not sure exactly what the difference is here from what we would normally have. I guess I'm thinking collection map. Maybe there is no array map. I mean, if I was going to use this. this, Yeah, yeah. so this is just exposing the array map function via the array class or the ARR class. Yeah, so if if you don't want to use the PHP version of it and you'd rather use the ARR version of it because you want to, I suppose, you now have the ability to do that. Thank you. Daniel Eckerman, mm-hmm. uh, of course, as we said at the top of this one, you can see all the uh, change log stuff and all the diffs on GitHub. Thank you, Paul Rudman, for putting that one together. That's 9.13, 9.14, my friend. Just just on that, it's nice the um, to get symmetry between the, the native PHP functions into that array class. Sure. Um, just, I mean, there's been things in there that I've wanted to do recently where, you know, the I've, I've had to use, and it, like, it's not a bad thing, obviously, having to, having to, having to use the um, the native PHP functions is just nice for that symmetry to have 
the native functions available in an object interface. Sometimes it can be a little bit nicer to to work your way through application code in that manner. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. All right. So uh, as you said, Laravel 9.14 was also released since the last time we spoke. And this one has some new migration table comments functionality, a dynamic trash factory state, a new array key helper, and some bootable setup test traits and more. So first off the, uh, well, first cab off the rank, I guess they say, Andrew Broberg contributed the ability to add table comments for MySQL and Postgres migrations. So the schema builder or the migration functionality previously allowed you to add comments to to table fields, whereas this is now specifying a comment on the table itself. This feature is useful for um, Andrew as a so that their business intelligence team can better understand the database schema. They already add comments on columns. Adding comments on the table is also beneficial in helping to describe mm, what that table is used for. So, you know, if you're in an organization, yeah, if you're in an organization of a sufficient size, you know, you you may be tracking these things. The BI team is responsible for then going and and you know doing analytics and and getting metrics on on your data. So having them be able to just look at a table comment, you know, what what is the data in this table representing, or having a look at a field comment to see, you know, what is this field representing whether you know the names are not necessarily clear of the fields and the tables this allows them to do that without having to necessarily interact directly with the you know the development teams and things like that so it's it's useful to to do that kind of stuff rather than having to dip into the you know raw statements and things like that next up Jason McCreary or Jmac contributed dynamic support of a trashed factory state for models using soft delete so you can rather than having to do you know factory create and then passing in a deleted at value you can now say model, uh, colon, colon, factory, arrow, trashed, arrow, create, and that'll handle that for you, setting a uh, deleted at flag on that model automatically nice. yeah, as nice. a, you know, a date in the past. So definitely check that one out. David Hermans contributed a new array helper to prepend all key names in an associative array quickly. So this is array, colon, colon, prepends keys with, and you pass it, um, obviously, your, your array. And then you can, as the second parameter, say I want to prefix it with whatever, so prefix dot, and that will go through and map each of the keys in that array with that prefix value. Pascal Balget contributed a bootable trait feature from Eloquent to the base test case class. Um, there's also another pull request number 39,883 that has prior art related to this feature. This this feature works by using a trait on a test case that has a method prefix with setup combined with the trait's name. So in a similar way to where we have boot trait, you can do like if you have a, say, for refresh database, the refresh database trait will have a boot refresh database method. So um, this is allowing you to, on a trait, create a setup method, right? So you've got a trait called refresh some service. You can create a public function set up refresh some service and then carry out some functionality there. So that's useful in your uh, test situations where you need to initialize the state of that trait for your testing. So definitely check that one out if that's something that you have needed in the past. Um, the, oh, the feature, here we go. The feature could be useful to set up external services that you need throughout your test suite in multiple test cases. So definitely check out the pull request for that. We'll have links to that and everything else in the show notes. Very nice. We're going to move on to uh, news here. And in the news, we have got Tinkerwell 3, which is your PHP code runner by the team at Beyond Code. So Tinkerwell has been around for a while. If you haven't heard about it before, 
Uh, basically, this is a code runner for Laravel. So think PHP Artisan Tinker on steroids. So you can run any PHP mm-hmm. code. You can use any feature of the latest Laravel versions. You can run code within your applications locally. So you can point it at a folder on your machine or you can set up your SSH connections so you can run it uh, in production. So you can just tinker around in production. Uh, you can do rapid prototyping, debugging, you know, you don't have to set up like a test route in order to do something or throw something into a console.php. You know, you don't have to do that. You can just yeah. run it straight mm-hmm. into Tinkerwell. So it's really, really nice. I use it all the time. And uh, I've been using version three actually for the last little while and I'm really enjoying it. So some of the things that are new to it are intelligent code complete. Well, first of all, the UI just looks much better. Mm-hmm. It feels a lot nicer. It's uh, a lot polished. Yeah, exactly. It does. It feels like a um, it feels like a regular like one Really, I, I don't know. I, I, that's not to sound insulting. Some of the other ones, <laughs> so, it, I don't know. Some of the f- pieces just seem like they have a little bit of rough edges on them. But this really does seem mm. super polished and uh, really, really well done. So, one of the things that's really nice is it comes with uh, this excellent code completion experience out of the box. So this is something that. If you're using an editor that you've spent any time with, you've likely got some of this set up already. But code completion is just something we sort of take for granted. And it was something you would really feel when you were in Tinkerwell before. Not having that was like, ugh, like where is mm-hmm. it? You know. And so now that is included, it indexes your code base and provides instant auto-completion even when you're connecting to remote projects via SSH. Nice. So it will go ahead and auto-complete classes, methods, constants, uh, whatever you want to do there, uh, that's kind of nice. It's also got this interesting, these magic comments. So you can use this special comment syntax, which you can use to quickly dump out variables uh, or perform method calls in the middle of a method chain. You can mm-hmm. measure the time of your code execution. So they have these uh, little special snippets that you can put in in order to dump out some of that stuff to the uh, sidebar when you run it. So I'm not going to go through what exactly those are because I haven't learned what they are yet, but they are there. You have automatic code coverage adds colored indicators next to your code that will tell you exactly which line of code was executed and which one wasn't. So if you have an error in your code, that error message will be shown directly next to the code that produced it. So that's pretty cool. Uh, as we talked about, uh, a beautiful new user interface, which is really nice. Dark mode, light mode, all of that stuff. It also has improved Docker and WSL support, which I think Windows is Win- or is WSL is Windows Subsystem Linux or something like that. Is yeah, that Subsystem for Linux, yeah. Yeah, exactly, WSL. Yeah, so Tinkerwell 3 is a free update for everyone who has an active Tinkerwell license that qualifies for updates. That would be me. That's what I got. All right, Michael, over <laughs> to you, my friend. We mentioned at the top of the show, we've got Scout APM back. Now, Scout APM is application performance monitoring designed to help PHP developers quickly find and fix performance issues without having to deal with a headache or overhead of enterprise platform feature bloat. With a developer-centric UI and tracing logic that ties bottlenecks to source code, Scout helps you quickly pinpoint and resolve performance abnormalities like N plus one queries, slow database queries, and memory bloat. So you can spend less time debugging and more time building. And with Scout's real-time alerting and weekly digest emails, you can rest easier knowing that Scout's on watch to help you resolve performance issues before your customers ever see them. You can give Scout a try with a free 14-day trial and experience firsthand why PHP developers worldwide called Scout their best friend. And for Laravel news listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. You can learn more at scoutapm.com forward slash news. Excellent. Thanks, Scout. Thank you, Scout. All right, on to packages here. We've got first up the simple wallet implementation. 
for Laravel. So Stephen Jude uh, create or sorry, Stefan Jude created the simple wallet implementation for Laravel models. So let me talk about how it works and then give some examples for where you might use this. So uh, in order to use this, all you do is you add this use has wallet trait to whatever model you care to add it to. This allows you to make deposits, withdraws, and then check the balance of the wallet for a given model. Uh, given a wallet balance from the examples that are given here, you can make withdrawals. And if you attempt to withdraw more than the amount in the wallet, the package throws an exception. So it is uh, a simple wallet implementation. And I was trying to think through like, okay, how would I use this? I could think of a couple of ways. If you've ever heard of Envato or really a lot of these products that allow you to purchase in advance, mm-hmm. like a set of credits that you could have. So you say like you pay 20 bucks and you get 20 credits, for example, right? This wallet implementation would give you the ability to do something like that. I could even see having like an employee rewards program where maybe if they get like a shout out from somebody or whatever, maybe they get so many points in their wallet to spend towards company swag or you know, maybe that's exactly what it is, is you have maybe an external vendor and you guys have a swag program where external vendors, if they use X number of you know dollars for your product, they get points towards your swag store. Who knows? There's mm-hmm. a bunch of different ways that you could use this, uh, but being able to make deposits and deductions and not having to think about how that works and having a tested uh, class in order to be, or a tested little package that gives you the ability to do that, uh, I can see being pretty nice. So check that out. Yeah. Stefan Jude. Laravel wallet. Very nice. And next up, we have from Joseph Silber, releasing Bouncer, which is a roles and permissions <laughs> package for Laravel apps. It's so funny. He's releasing it after 1.3 million downloads. <laughs> right. He's finally he's uh, finally tagged a 1.0 version. It has been extremely reliable and stable for quite a while now, and is being used on production uh, in production by countless apps worldwide. I remember 2016, I think, is the first time that I came across Bouncer and used mm-hmm. it in an application. So yeah, it's, been it's certainly it been it's been around for a long, long time. Um, this is a, a personal update from Joseph with some personal musings about the journey through the years from inception to final release. And there's also some technical information on how to use Bouncer day-to-day. You can check out that documentation. And he even did an episode of the Laravel podcast with Matt Stauffer. We'll include links to that in the show notes. Um, so Bouncer is an open source package for dynamically managing roles and permissions in the database that is fully integrated with Laravel's gate facade. So why you might use this over just using the gates themselves, you can configure and manage all of these permissions within the database. So with uh, the the facades and the policies and things like that, that's all done in code. Um, And it doesn't allow you to sort of dynamically manage that functionality for your application users as easily. So this gives you simple abilities to allow users access to certain uh, features. You've got model abilities that apply to obviously eloquent models, the ability to use uh, flexible roles. You've got forbidding abilities, ownership of uh, models, multi-tenancy and built-in caching and a whole lot more, which we'll have links to in the show notes. So this, this idea actually came around for Joseph back in 2015 after the authorization system was added to Laravel 5.2, and this provided a nice API for defining permission checks in your app for various actions through simple defined callbacks, as well as full-on policies and hooks throughout the system for checking permissions. So we've got the blade directives, we've got, um, you know, user can, user cannot, all of that kind of stuff. You've got the authorization or the authorized methods in controllers and so on. As soon as Joseph started playing with this, he knew that the future of ACL for all Laravel apps would be would be rooted in this, and it's that I mean, it's just that good in terms of comprehensive functionality 
And Taylor really does have this sense, this amazing sense for clear and intuitive APIs and the gate abstraction brought that to light. But the one thing that was missing from the built-in authorization system was dynamic permissions that are stored in the database. Um, and as I said before, the way that the gate is built, all checks are performed by hard-coded functions defined in your application. So there's no way to allow admins over app to control any of that at runtime via some dashboard UI. This gives you the structure to organize logic, the authorized actions in entities. It does not make any determination on how your user roles are stored. And that's where Bouncer came in and, and how Joseph kind of went about this. So I'm not going to go into too much more detail, but he talks a bit about the, the name and the logo and where all that came from and some of the inspiration behind it and where it ended up now with the current version as well as some of the technical underpinnings and and things like that. So we'll have documentation links and all of that for you in the show notes. Um, but it's, you know, testament to the work of, of Joseph and, and the contributors to the package that, you know, we're finally at a 1.0 release. It's it's kind of been a bit of a disservice by his own admission that it's been, you know, this long yeah, since, right. since he released it, you know, because it's been stable and it's been in use for applications everywhere for years and years. But, you know, some some people and some organizations, they see a piece of software that it's like version 0. Point whatever, and they just um and are about, oh, you know, it's not really ready. They might change it. And, you know, Semver kind of makes people think that if it's a zero release, you could have a breaking change at any time, which isn't necessarily the case. So it's good to see that that's finally out. And and congrats to Joseph for, for putting it together. As I said, we'll have links to the the story and all of that information for you in the show notes as well as the the podcast the laravel podcast that he did with matt stauffer absolutely yeah i'm looking to see here 1.4 million downloads i think is what it says now so oh yeah. no sorry right. 1.34 1.34 yeah so you know i think the main defining characteristic here is that yes you can use gates and policies and that will get you a really long way in mm-hmm. laravel but as joseph points out in this article, those are all hard-coded values. So if there ever needs to be an update to permissions, it must be made by a person who has access to the code. And that is not Mm -hmm. always preferable, right? So as your code, as your uh, site, your app grows in complexity, sometimes it's nice to be able to offload that set of permission management tasks to an administrator Mm -hmm. of the application. And using this tool, you can now store those values in the database and update those dynamically. Uh, you know, using the database, store them in there and uh, and update them in there. So we use Balancer in one of our more complex applications where it's you know specifically with permissions being a problem, and uh, it's been a really great package. So awesome. We've also got another package here called Kinetic. This is a View Composer package for inertial. So let's, what does what does that mean? So it adds View Composer like features to Inertia.js Laravel adapter. So let me just talk about what view composers are for a second. So view composers are basically something where you have a view that you list. So you would say something like document.index. And anytime I load the document.index, I want to, I'm going to run this closure. And this closure is going to provide something to that front end view blade file, right? So maybe that document.index, I want to pass along to that document.index, I don't know, the number of stars that all the documents have. I mean, it's a stupid example, but maybe let's say that, okay? And, uh, you know, so you could say count stars and pass that as dollar sign stars. Now, when this actually becomes useful is when you say, well, there's actually a few different ones that I want to provide this value to. Maybe there's a component that lives on all these different pages and I don't want to have to populate that in all of the different controllers that are going to be calling views that contain that component. So instead, I'm going to make this view composer 
And all of these, uh, all of these uh, views that contain this little component that needs the number of stars, I'll just put them into this view composer and just pass along the number, the dollar sign stars variable to all of those, all of those views. That's for me what a view composer is in my brain. So let's talk about this. Like Laravel view composers, Kinetic can bind data each time a component is rendered from a single location. So within a service provider, you call the composer method to define these inertia composers. So same deal, inertia colon colon composer, and then you pass in the component, so user profile, and then you can call a class, so the user composer class. And this takes a compose method and then allows you to return into that, uh, into that um, inertia component a set of values that then will get accepted as props, I'm guessing. So the composer method supports closure-based composers as well. So instead of passing it a class, you could also just pass a closure there and return those values. Uh, so with those composers defined in a service provider, your props will include the composing data when you call render. So exactly as I basically described it at the top, if you have a component that is loaded in a bunch of different places and you don't feel like passing those props down every single time, uh, or you don't feel like the component having to make an additional call, uh, itself to get those values because that's the other option, right? You could just say put the component on the page, and then the component knows about this endpoint, this API endpoint that it goes and gets the stars from. So it doesn't matter where I put it; it just is going to call it when it loads itself up. Instead of doing that, this is another option, right? You could just mm -hmm. always run this closure, provide that value uh, from the back end to the front, rather than from the front end requesting the back end and then getting a response. So uh, it's an interesting idea. The only thing in the warning that I would say here is that if you don't have a convention that tells your development team that this is happening, it can be very freaking confusing trying to run down yeah. where these things are at. Like, where am I getting this data from? I have no idea where it's coming mm -hmm. from. It's not in the controller. I don't see it anywhere. Where is this? So you're yeah. going to need to hint to people like when they're looking for it, where it's located, because it's not super obvious and it's not necessarily a convention I see used all that often. Yeah. So yeah, view composers is one of those things. Like it's it's almost like too much magic because it's not obvious. Kind of like um event listeners. Firing events is good if you're giving people the ability to hook into different things in your application or if you're sending off telemetry to, you know, customer like some of those uh, uh mix panel, for example, if you're sure. sending stuff away, it's good to kind of defer that stuff to the background. But if you're doing behavior that your application kind of relies on. Yeah, yeah. You know, view composers and events and those kind of things can be a little bit, yeah, as you say, hard to track down because, you know, view composers, they're not spoken about a lot. They're not really conventional right. in terms of an, a, a Laravel app. And so I've I would say before, use them but... sparingly and use them in caution. And like anytime I've ever used them, they've they've caused me problems because yeah. when you come back to that code I in like three or five months, you're like, hey, where does this I literally haven't thought about from? view composers in like probably three years. I mean, I haven't yeah. thought. So... It's interesting though, like especially in something like inertia, because this problem does exist, right? Where it's like you have a component that needs to get something, and instead of having to make the component call to an endpoint and get it and then get it back, I mean, I get it. It makes sense why you would yeah. do it. Mm -hmm. um, and this is actually why something like uh, Laravel components, like your blade components, this it's really nice because in your like, little Laravel component, you just it includes all that stuff. You can do yeah, that, and it's right? obvious. Like where you correct. render the component, you know that there's exactly. going to be. Yes. As, like there's always going to be a view. Well, actually, there's not even true. There's not always going to be a view. There's always going to be either a view or a class. And there's right. only really two places to look. Yeah. And it's obvious from your Blade template where that where that will be. So Exactly. So Yeah. Anyway. Look, 
I'm not saying don't use them. I'm saying Correct. be cautious when you do use them because they seem like a silver bullet, but they can they can be um like not problematic to to what you're doing, but just tricky to to track down later on. Indeed, yeah, they can bite you. Okay, go for it. Next up, how to validate your Laravel applications config. Uh, this is a package by Ash Allen. So we've spoken about some of his stuff on the podcast before in terms of um, some of the great articles that he writes. So as your Laravel projects change and grow, it's likely that you add new config fields and onboard new team members to work alongside you. And especially for junior developers, setting up config and environment variables on your local in, in on your local development environment for the first time for each project can sometimes but not always be quite confusing. And yeah, like you and I spoke about this before that. Oh yeah. I don't sure. remember if it was on Laravel News or if it was on the, our other so. podcast, yeah. you know, talking about having like a setup script that, that runs mm-hmm. through and, 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 you know, sets environment variables and creates databases and does all that kind of stuff when, you, when you're onboarding new people. Um, but you can still sometimes find yourself scratching your head thinking, are you using the right API keys, the right URL for the environment variable set? And um, what are the different values that this config field can be? And of course, these types of issues can be voided with well-written and up-to-date documentation. But if you could, if the questions could be answered and enforced programmatically before running your app, rather than by eye or waiting until your code fails during runtime, so this is where the Laravel Config Validator comes in. It's a package that Ash built with the aim of trying to solve these issues by providing the ability for developers to define rules that can be used to validate config fields, which allows you to validate your config fields using an artisan command, so that you and other developers can be sure that not only do you have everything, but you've got it set up correctly. And so the main benefit of, of using this package is that it encourages code as documentation because you can update your config validation rules each time your config changes rather than updating a markdown file with your project's documentation that's hidden away, never looked at. Like so many times I've gone, where is this thing? And been pointed at the documentation and just yeah. like never never strikes me to even yep. look there. Like why would this be there? Yeah. But it's also the kind of thing like if it's not documented and you figure it out, but then you forget to go and write the documentation, get busy, whatever, like all of those things can happen. So... This allows you to write complex rules relatively easily. So if, for example, you had a config field that stored your Mailgun API keys, you could write a simple rule to make sure that the key is present and that it is a string. And you could take it one step further and write a rule that makes a HTTP request to the API to confirm that not only is the key there and a string, but that it is actually valid and can be used to make requests in your application. So there's an example here that talks about doing this using validation rules or a similar, sorry, a similar sort of construct as validation rules um, so this is using a rule make mailchimp api key which has an array of rules so it's required it's a string and it must be a valid mailchimp key and after you define the rule um, the package provides a command php artisan config validate and so that will go and it'll check does the key exist is it set um, and in that rule you can also say okay let's go make an api request like a, a, a ping pong request to, to the api to make sure that it replies if it doesn't, it'll tell you what the errors are. You know, the, the value is there or it's not there, that it that it's a string or it's not a string and that, you know, you need to make be able to make the request out to the API. So it's a really comprehensive and robust, in Ash's appealing, and certainly just me reading this article, um, you don't need to learn any new syntax. It's using all the validator functionality provided by Laravel. So you can use the same rules that you already want to use. And getting up and running with it is just a matter of, you know, as long as you've got Laravel 8 and PHP 8, installing a composer package, running the vendor publish command, and then defining your configuration validation rule sets. I won't go into it too much more than that because there's um, quite a bit bit to it. But it's um, I certainly have suffered because I change jobs every five minutes. So I've certainly suffered the yeah. new application onboarding <laughs> so issue true. possibly more than 
many other people. Um, but you, you know, it's got the ability to customize validation error messages to only run in specific environments. Like locally, you might not necessarily need to have a valid Mailchimp key, for example. You want to check that only in production. So there's fu- uh, functionality in there to to run things based on. Um, environments, running the config validation, like you could make the config validation part of your deployment step to make sure that everything is there and then fail out, you know, of the deployment if it's not there. Uh, so definitely check that out. And especially if you're if you're like growing your team or, you, or you've run into these issues that we talked about in terms of enforcement or, you know, things that aren't there, um, Ash has put together a really good package. And, and you know, as I said at the top, we've, we've spoken about a, a number of Ash's articles in the past and he always does some really good things and i just wanted to drop in here that he's got a a book coming as well this summer called battle ready laravel and it's a guide to auditing testing fixing and improving your laravel applications so definitely check that out you can jump on the wait list to get a 25 percent discount code for the book but this is talking about you know learning to use automated tools and manual methods to audit code bases to find any weaknesses and areas to improve it's going to help you write tests to increase confidence in in your stuff learn how to reduce and hopefully remove any of your technical debt and so it goes into uh, auditing using automatic tools manual auditing finding weak spots testing fixing issues improving existing code and things like that and it's so, a yeah, really reasonable but, price too right it's like yeah, 30, $39 yeah. yeah $39 with a with a 25 percent discount so definitely check that out yeah, absolutely I'm, I'm always really impressed with with content that ash puts out agreed um, yeah. and if you have been too this is a good way to support him and the work that he's doing so so check that out we have links to it in the show notes for sure thanks ash Okay, we have another package which was kind of it kind of blew up a little bit on this week of May twenty fourth, mm-hmm. and I'm just realizing now my battery's at fourteen percent. I'm gonna have to go grab a uh, battery pack here, but that's okay. So I'm gonna talk about this first. So this is test form requests in Laravel with request factories by Worksum. So this is Luke Downing. So I'm gonna give you the quick context here. So if you've ever had to do valid do a test where you have to send through a request to a controller, for example. If you're wanting the test validation for just a particular set of fields or something like that, the frustrating part can be that you have to fill in all of the fields that make the valid request for that controller every single time. So if you're really only wanting to test one particular thing, you still have to fill in the name, the email, the address, the zip code, the city, the state, the whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. You have to fill in all that stuff, which can get really annoying. And so basically the approach that's taken here is we used to have this problem with models. Models used to have, you have to just do the same thing. You have to do model create, and then you'd have to pass in all the values that you needed in order to create a valid you know, database record. And then you could do your test, right? So everything, every time you had to arrange your, your, uh, your test, it was, just, was really nasty, right? So instead what Luke's doing here is he says, why don't we just do the same thing for these requests, mm-hmm. So what you can do is you can now create something. Let's say that we were testing our signup flow. Instead of having to pass in the username, the name, the email, the password, the address, the city, the state, the zip, instead of having to do all of that, what you can do is you can make a new signup request fake. So you just call a you just make a signup request, call fake on it, and then what you can do as you can do your couple things that you want to do where you can say this post sign up and then uh, define the values that you are interested in testing, knowing that that sign up request already has all of the values that are needed to make a valid request for this endpoint. So sign up request colon colon fake 
It fills in, says, hey, when I make a request, I'm going to make a request that matches whatever is in this signup request. You fill in any additional details that you want to, and then go ahead and submit it, right? So this post, I'm going to post to slash signup. And now in there, all I'm going to do is I'm just going to pass an array of values that I'm actually interested in testing, that I'm actually interested in looking at when I run my test. Mm-hmm. The signup request fake takes care of all the rest of it. So it's a lot nicer, a lot easier. And of course, that's not where it stops at all. So it ships with a artisan command to generate the factories really easily. You just PHP artisan make request factory and then sign up request factory. Of course, your uh, naming is going to be important here uh, so that it knows that it's going to be going in as a sign up request factory, not as a sign up request, just like what you would do as a form request, right? Uh, because that could be confusing if you didn't do it that way. Uh, all the factors are by default placed into the tests slash request factories. And similar to how we have uh, model factories, you just have a definition method that returns an array. This is where we define any attributes that we want to be present when we're faking a request. Um, the recommendation here is that you really only include the minimum number of attributes needed to make a valid request. And then, similar to how you would do with model factories, you can then decorate that factory as required. So you can use faker inside here to create randomized data rather than hard coding values. And then interestingly, I thought this was kind of cool too. What you can also do is a lot of times if you in your controller are using a form request to handle your validation of a particular set of data. So in your controller, let's say you have a store method and then you say user sign up request or something like that. User sign up request store, whatever you'd want to call it, right? And then dollar sign request. Mm -hmm. Uh, What that will do then is it will resolve that out of the container and then it will look at the rules array that is in your uh, sign up request store, whatever. And then it will check against those first before allowing it to pass through to the rest of your controller. If you're doing that, if you're using form requests, you can now use this optional trait for has factory on on that request. And then you can just in your test, call that sign up request store fake. And it will just use that rule set that's in there to go ahead and generate that request for you, which is pretty, pretty freaking interesting. Yeah. It's it's cool. He says it's cool, although perhaps divisive, right? Mm-hmm. Some people might not mm-hmm. like it. So it's optional, right? You don't have to do it, but it is an interesting way to do it. Then you obviously have the ability to add methods to your factory using uh, just a with address method, perhaps, and it will just modify the state of that request. You also have other items like, let me see here, one second. Okay. Yeah. You have other items like omitting fields from a request. So you could say sign up request factory without email, right? And you can say, just take out that one particular one. You can use nested mm-hmm. factories. So if you have a address request factory, and then you have a mailing request factory. You could call one within the other. Uh, basically, any of the things that you can do with model factories, you can do with these request factories. Um, so it's interesting. It's really interesting. It yeah. seems like a lot of people were were on board with this. So yeah, yeah I, w- I would check it out if I was you. Um, it's pretty interesting. I think there's a good chance that this this finds its way into uh, into core at some point in the future. It's it's one of those things that. Certainly, because it has the symmetry with the the model factories, you just know how to use it if you know how to use model factories already. Um, and and I like that it kind of pushes to to make sort of minimal changes to you know to providing the minimal set of data for your factory. And this is something that um, Joel Claremont tweeted about during the week as well. 
in terms of ben- the benefits of minimal model factories in Laravel. And one thing that always hits me if I try and be too clever with my factories or try and get them to do to do too much, especially when you're um, defining related models in the factories, that you it can end up giving you unexpected results when you're making tests that make assertions against things because you're getting you know extra extra models created and things like that. So definitely a, a wise approach, I think. To, to kind of keep things as as minimal and as small as possible in that regard. And, you know, if you're not using model factories, and let's face it, sometimes your code is going to have errors and even code that is written by amazing developers such as yourself. So when errors do happen, it's nice to know that Honey Badger has your back. Honey Badger makes you a DevOps hero by combining error, uptime and check-in monitoring into a single easy-to-use platform. Honey Badger will send you alerts in real time with all the context needed to see what's causing the error and where it's hiding so you can quickly fix it and get on with your day. And the included uptime in cron monitoring also lets you know when your external services are having issues or your background jobs go missing or silently fail. You can go to honeybadger.io and discover how Star, Josh and Ben created a 100% bootstrap monitoring solution, which is important because by being self-funded, it means they only answer to us as developers and not to venture capital overlords. So we can check them out there at honeybadger.io. Check them out for a very reasonable free tier. And thank you for sponsoring. Whew, barely got it in time. Barely plugged it in time. I realized my MagSafe stuff, I left oh. at work on oh, no. Thursday last week. Or Thursday this week. And so, um, so yeah. Oops. My bad. My bad. That's okay. All right. he made I'm, it. I'm all plugged in now. All plugged in. Also, hey, quick shout out to this really cool app called Aldente. So Aldente is basically a battery monitoring solution. This is something that Max sort of has built in, but it's not as good as kind of what I would want it to be. Um, apparently, the types of batteries that are being used now, they're best if they're not always at 100%. So I leave, you know, I, my laptop is plugged in most of the day. When I'm at work, I'm almost always plugged in. And if I didn't have al dente, what would happen is my battery would constantly be at 100% and charging, right? It's just constantly sitting there at that 100% mark. And apparently, if you do that, eventually your battery life falls off a cliff. It just yeah. doesn't like that. And so what al dente does is al dente keeps your battery between 20% and 80% pretty much, right? Uh, it'll only let you charge up to 80 unless you tell it to top off and then it will go ahead and boost it up to 100%. It'll let it charge up to 100%, but it basically stops it charging at 80%. So it's not constantly sitting there at 100. Um, and then you can do sort of these um, calibrations where it'll do a 100% charge and then discharge to 15, then 100% charge, then it holds for an hour, then it discharges to 80% and basically just make you know doing a quick battery cycle sort of deal so you can just kind of do that overnight but i've really liked it and i i'm hoping you know really my last macbook the only reason i was desperate to replace it is because my battery life was so bad it was just so so bad and it was because it's plugged in 95 percent of its life and just sits at 100 percent. and so anyway el dente it's a it's a good tool i don't remember how much it is but it's been worth every penny really like it mm-hmm. so yeah, I'm pretty up. sure it's just a open source thing you can pull down from is it really? uh, GitHub. Yeah. Oh, huh. interesting. Maybe it is. There is Maybe there's like is. a free version and then there's the pro version which has um, heat protection, sailing mode, top up, calibration mode, all of that thing, all of those things. I think Al Dente is part of the setup. Is that right? Uh, it may be. It may be actually. I pay. Mm. Yeah, I pay for. Yeah, it is part of Al Dente Pro is part of setup. Gotcha. Yeah, I think I just bought it once, lifetime purchase. Yeah, twenty two bucks. Mm-hmm. 
Support support indie authors, everybody. Support indie authors. It's worth it. Yeah. Restructuring a Laravel controller using services, events, jobs, and actions. So we're onto the tutorials section here. And um, basically in this section, our job is not to go through the entire tutorial, but more to pique your interest with something that may be an item that you'd want to follow up on. So I'm going to go ahead and talk a little bit about what this is and mm-hmm. why it might be useful for you. And this is from Pavilus, which is, who is... Um, I always forget the word. Prolific. Thank you. That's literally, it was just coming to me as I said it. He is prolific. <laughs> a writer, video blogger, just a really big asset to the community. So thanks, thanks, Pavelis, for writing this. But basically, here's here's the here's the summer version of it, right? So one of the top questions you hear, especially from people who are just coming into a world where they're getting out of just doing CRUD stuff, right? They've been used to just mm-hmm. doing CRUD. They they have them, they have routes. They have controllers which talk to a model and then you return that data to the front and then it's like Livewire or Inertia or it's just plain view, you know, whatever it is or Blade, whatever it is, right? But when you're getting out of that, where do you put all the rest of the stuff, right? If it doesn't yeah. go in the controllers, where should we put it? The good news and the bad news is that with Laravel, there's no single correct answer to that. And I tell my junior mm-hmm. devs this all the time, which they ask a question. I'm like, here's the thing. There is no right answer to this. There's like five right answers. You just have to pick the one that makes the most sense. And then like, here's kind of how I've done it in the past, or here's maybe our convention. doesn't mean it's the only way, but it doesn't mean this is how we've done it, right? So Laravel gives you the flexibility to choose the structure. You won't find any recommendations in the official Laravel docs. So there are a bunch of different options that have kind of cropped up over the last five years, I will say, as here is a really good way to do this, right? So there is... um some general refactoring that he talks about here. Uh, he talks about validation using form requests. He talks about using a service class. Uh, and he actually starts with a really concrete example here. So he says like, okay, I've got a controller method and it basically validates the incoming input. It creates a user. It uploads an avatar file. It logs the user in. It generates a voucher and then it sends that voucher with an email and then it notifies the administrators of the new email or the new user, which all sound like mm-hmm. very reasonable things to do. But how do you break that down? What are the things you could do? Like where do you kind of tuck those pieces, right? So that's why mm-hmm. he kind of, he basically goes through the refactoring strategy that he's going to do here. So yeah validation, a service class for creating the user, he talks about single responsibility principle, maybe using actions instead of a service. So he 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 goes through all the different things, right? So again, I'm not going to exhaust uh, you by going through all of it. Uh, but I will say if this is something that you're if this is a question that you're asking yourself, where do I put all this code? If I'm not going to put it in the controller, where do I put it? This is a great mm-hmm. article for you to read from somebody who has been doing this for a long time. Uh, so Pavilas, thanks for writing that one. I think that'll be really helpful to a lot of people. Yeah, I just on that, I, you're you're right. There are there is no one way, and like all of these can be right at the same time, depending mm-hmm. on the size and scope of what your controller is doing. I think the key kind of takeaway is whether or not you're trying to abstract functionality away from your controllers, so that you know the the functionality is actually going to be discrete which which then allows you and this is where the actions are a really nice approach it is it allows you to use that action in your controller or it could be an artisan command yeah. if you want to yeah. replay something or it could be something that you dispatch as a job this is something that i'm doing at the moment where i've got like this giant class but we have possibilities where incoming payloads could could fail for one reason or another and it could be that you know we weren't handling something in in a in an expected way so we want to be able to replay that that payload at a later date. So extracting all of that functionality into like an an action pipeline or a class that that handles that separately means that 
yeah, we can get the original payload coming through via HTTP via the API, but if it fails for whatever reason or we, we, need, we need to replay it, then we can dispatch a job or call it from an artisan exactly. command and say, go and, go and replay this request kind of thing. So, yeah. super um, nice. You know, and and that's kind of where where I tend to find the separation is: will I ever need to be able to do this set of functionality somewhere outside of the HTTP layer? And that's where I sort of start looking to to pull things out. But you know, for for very simple things, like especially if you're doing very small CRUD, I, I say very small. You know, Laravel Vapor is is like action classes all the way down from from what I've heard. Fortify, Jetstream, all of that stuff is using action classes because it allows the core functionality to be called by initializing uh, or by resolving you know contracts from the container yeah and then having those concrete actions as part of your application and that means that makes you know, it easier you to say, test too by the way <laughs> it makes it easier to test because it means you can test those individual pieces as Correct. well you don't have yeah. to you don't have to generate i mean it's easier now that we've got these um form request uh factories that that luke's put together but it means you don't have to generate a giant payload to test every single piece of that start to finish you can discreetly test each of the steps. Um, and that gives you, you know, more comprehensive coverage because it means that there might be a failure in one part of that. Well, instead of having to redo the whole thing and test the whole thing, you could just go and write a, a failing test for that that specific action and then fix that specific actions functionality up. And as I said, this is something that I'm like very much in the middle of at work at the moment to be able to do that kind yeah, of we stuff. Were talking so about just before the show, pretty much. There's so many ways to skin the proverbial cat. Um, although there's like Peter friendly. I'm sorry, I say proverbial cat, but there's there's Peter friendly ways to to say these things now. I don't. <laughs> so many so many ways to to dress a cat, I suppose. Um, yeah, sure. There you go. So yeah, <laughs> I don't um, know which is worse. Skinny cat yeah. or dressing a cat? Sure. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure you should be dressing a cat. They probably don't like that very much either. But, um, you can call yeah, it field said, dressing a cat, which is the same thing as skinning a cat. Right. Did you know that? Yeah. <laughs> right. Gosh. Moving yeah, on. I think you're making it worse. I am. Uh, yeah, so I think, you know, the long and short of it is, as as you said, and, and it's in the article, all of those things could be right depending on the, the context. Sure, um, yeah. You know, and you, like you might not care. Like you may never need to extract things in a way that you can reuse it elsewhere. So just just leave it all in the controller and and, and that's fine. But there's there's no right and wrong answer. Laravel gives you the tools to to do whatever works for you. And, and if you're in a team, then you know do whatever works for you and your team. Yeah, indeed. Okay, I think we got one other item here. Eloquent performance. Four examples of n plus one query problems. So this is an article by again Pavilis, and he's talking about. Uh, where eloquent performance is typically the main reason for slow Laravel projects. And it's not not that eloquent is slow and it's not that Laravel is slow and it's not that PHP is slow. It's that you're being very mean to your poor little database. So a big part of the performance issues that you can introduce via eloquent is the N plus one query problem. And in, in this particular article, Pavilis goes through um, what the N plus one query problem is, uh, what a you know regular scenario for this would be. I suppose the, the main thing is if you wanted to say, if you had... If you have a book model and you wanted to list a book with all of the authors, you might go, you know, select or you, you would do book all and then you'd iterate over that. And then for each book, you might want to show the author. So you'd say, you know, book arrow author and then show author name. And and Laravel and Eloquent makes this very easy. The, the active record pattern makes this very easy. But the problem with that is that if you have 100 books, you've got one query to find all 100 books and then you've got another 100 queries to get the author. So this is where eager loading is exceptionally useful because you can say uh, book with author get and that will run two queries, one to find all of the books and one to find all of the corresponding authors. 
Um, so this, you know, this goes into using debug bar to to find and and fix these issues. It talks about using Laravel Cedars to you know make sure that you're running tests, at least manual tests in your environment where you're seeding ten thousand records to make sure that you're not inadvertently introducing issues. Um, talks about oh, so this is like don't you could do like books arrow count and that will run a query or you can use you know author with count books um, and that will give you like a books underscore count property automatically and it's doing a, a nice fast query while, rather than you know selecting all of the books and then doing a count on the collection um so this is you know trying to avoid you know running queries that you don't need to in 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 most applications the thing that is going to bottleneck you long before your code is like not performant, it's going to be the database. It's going to be running slow queries, inefficient queries, you know, running hundreds of hundreds of queries when you only need to run one one or two queries. So, and, and there's ways around this. You can, it was introduced, I think in Laravel 8 or Laravel 9, the prevent lazy loading, which will yeah. throw exceptions yep. in uh, in your development environment. Don't don't deploy that to production. You don't need to, you know, a, a, a slow page is probably better for your users than a page that just throws yeah. a, a server error. Right. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely check this one out. It goes into that a lot better than what I did just then. But uh, yeah, Pavilus always always puts together some really really good content for Laravel News. So we appreciate the work that he does, not only for us but also for the entire community. Absolutely, people like Pavilus is why the Laravel community is the best place to be. Yep, agreed. Yeah, best people. Hey everyone, quick sidebar. I um, was working on getting this little Power Wheels thing to work for my son for his birthday party today. Yeah. It's been sitting in our garage for two years and I could not find a battery for it that would fit it. <laughs> and so I decided no. to do the hacker, the West Boss hackery, where you just buy a drill battery and throw it in there. And so I found these drill batteries on sale and I was like, hey, perfect mm-hmm. opportunity to try this thing. And so I got it working and then I was like, awesome. And so then I wanted to make it even better and then I fried it killed it oh no <laughs> no and so i was like that was this morning and like my wife's like oh sweet like you got it working yesterday like is he gonna be able to ride it today i'm like oh actually i killed it so i had to take the whole thing apart while taking it apart realized there was a second motor that wasn't hooked up that i didn't even realize was in there and it just was like the the contact had fallen off so i crimped mm-hmm. it reconnected it so now it's got two motors i'm like freaking sweet this is awesome but it still is not working so jordan brill comes over with the multimeter and is like, dude, let's figure this thing out. Cause he's already done this before. And yeah. So we're using this multimeter. Neither of us really know how a multimeter works, <laughs> but we're like poking around on this thing. Jordan's like, this is the problem right here. This is what you need to do. Just wiring up these things together and you'll get it to work. And I'm like, all right, I'm gonna try this. So he's like, all right, I gotta go home. I'll see you in a couple hours because they were coming over for the birthday party. Mm-hmm. Sure enough, got this thing working. Oh my gosh, bro, this thing hauls. It is so fast i should send you a video it, i mean i can't even tell you my little you know four-year-old almost five-year-old is whipping around the grass going through our rock beds running over bushes like it's like a monster truck and he like when he had his, his kindergarten graduation he said he wanted to be a race car driver or a monster truck driver when he grows up and i think all <laughs> of his dreams came true today it was so funny dude it is literally the fastest power wheels i've ever seen in my life is hilarious. I mean, that, that's why these things have the batteries in them that they do, because they're kind of trying to limit the speed and you put in a, <laughs> you know, a full on battery. So, and it's, so it's supposed to be loose. 12 volt. It's supposed to be 12 volt and I threw 18 volt in there. So it's like 
one and a half the power that it's supposed to mm -hmm. have. And his face was just like he he was so happy. And so I did put a speed controller in there so I can turn it up or yeah. down. Like if I but the thing I had mm -hmm. to bypass, the thing that I fried on it that I actually had to bypass was the speed controller that it comes with. So I had to just like mm -hmm. rip it out and just like wire nut the thing together, like, hey, it's going straight to the motors, man. There is no like barrier to going as fast you, as you can. When your when your son goes flying off this thing and crashes into the bushes, um, I don't wanna I don't wanna hear any complaining. <laughs> It only took five minutes happen? because he was taking people for rides and somebody flew off the side of it while he was pulling a corner and went right into the grass. And then everybody's well, yeah. everybody's wearing helmets after that. Thankfully, nobody. Well, <laughs> I want to say nobody got hurt. Somebody got run over as well. So <laughs> you're a menace. I am a menace to society, but it was so fun. So anyway, if you're if anybody's looking for tips on how to do it, ask me or ask Jordan Brill. I've got some links I can send you. In an Amazon list that I could send you for the stuff that you need to make it happen. Okay. Hey, everybody. This was episode 168. Find show notes for this episode at Laravel News. Sorry, podcast.laravel-news.com slash 168. We would really appreciate it if you'd rate us up in your podcatcher of choice. We haven't had very many reviews lately. Come on, people. If you've been listening to this show for like more than a year, which you probably have, and you haven't given us a review yet, we, you know what? We would really love to have you review. Just spend just a couple minutes here. Just go review the show. I know it's complicated to do it because I can never figure out how to give reviews for shows either, but go take a minute and do it. That'd be awesome. Hit us up on Twitter at Michael Jordan, at Jacob Bennett, or at Laravel News. Until next time, folks, we will see ya. Stay safe, everyone. Bye. Bye.